Topical skincare is very important for all babies to maintain their skin's hydration level, but especially for those with a predisposition to eczema. It is important to choose non-toxic options as things like parabens, phthalates, and fragrance can irritate the skin and make the skin's barrier weak, which is, as we talked about before, one of the first steps in developing eczema. Hi, I'm Dr. Alexis Reed, a naturopathic doctor and chemical engineer with a master's in toxicology. I am the founder of EcoChic Movement. I built this business because I saw that parents were looking for natural and preventative health options for their babies and kids, but would get overwhelmed along the way. I am committed to helping parents feel in the driver's seat of their child's health. I am a mom who had a child with the worst eczema ever seen by his doctors and felt overwhelmed navigating his health, even with my background. I'm going to take my clinical experience combined with my experience as a mama to bring you practical solutions for your family. Join me every Monday where I interview experts and have in-depth conversations on issues that commonly pop up in parenthood. Hello, I'm so happy to have you back for another episode of the Eco Chic Movement podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite topics. You probably guessed what it is already, eczema. As many of you already know, I was already a naturopathic doctor for six years and had started EcoChic Movement, which is a skincare line for babies and kids with eczema, well before I had my son Harvey, whose eczema threw us all for quite the loop. In today's episode, I'm going to cover everything that I've learned about eczema in the last 10 years and what I would do at every stage of development to reduce the risk of your child developing eczema. I do also want to say that this is not a feel guilty about what you didn't do to reduce their risk of developing eczema. There are many things I would do the second time around that I didn't do or didn't know to do the first time. Use this episode as an air quotes in an ideal world situation of everything I would do to prevent eczema. Before we dive right in, I'm going to talk a little bit about what eczema is because there is still a lot of confusion surrounding eczema. So 15 to 30% of children under the age of five experience eczema. These numbers have been steadily increasing since the 1990s. Back in the 1990s, only 8% of children suffered from eczema. 5% of children who have eczema have what is considered to be severe, like Harvey. Of course, we were in the 5%. Eczema is most prevalent in North America, followed closely by the United Kingdom. So eczema is an inflammatory condition of the skin. It usually looks like Skin that is dry, red, itchy, or scaly. It can be weepy or oozy, but not always. Typical areas that it presents are on the face, torso, behind the knees, wrist creases, um, behind the ears. You can even get it on your eyelids. One thing that differentiates eczema is it is typically not found in the area covered by a diaper. So if your baby or child has something going on in the area that's covered by a diaper, there's a good chance that it is not eczema. Could be eczema elsewhere on the body, but it's not eczema right there. Eczema is thought to have a genetic component. People who have what's called a loss of function mutation in the filigree gene are at a greater risk of developing eczema. So blame your parents. <laughs> the filigree gene is involved in maintaining the integrity of the epidermis, which is the outermost layer of the skin. So if you have a mutation in this gene, it makes the barrier of your skin not as strong, which can lead to dry skin and eczema. So the barrier is the, in the epidermis, the outermost layer of the skin. Essentially, if you want to 
think of it as a visual. Essentially, it's more prone to having little rips in it, like um, like a coffee filter with holes in it, if you will, for a visual. So by having that as your baseline, that that more friability or more propensity to these little cuts and dryness, that can lead to dry skin, which can then lead to eczema. A child is more likely to develop eczema if one or both parents have it or had it as a child. As well, kids with moderate to severe eczema are at a higher risk of developing food allergies and asthma. So now that we know what eczema is, let's move on to what to do about it. Even though most babies don't show any signs of eczema until they are two to four months old, it's not typically something that you will see immediately after birth. The best time to start working on eczema prevention is during pregnancy. This is especially true if you have a family history of eczema or have had eczema in a previous child. During pregnancy, exposure to a variety of different probiotics is very important. The two strains of bacteria that have the most research as being beneficial for eczema are Lactobacillus rhamnosus and Lactobacillus ruteri. If you have a family history of eczema, I recommend taking a probiotic that contains these two strains, and I'll link one in the show notes for you while you are pregnant. Having a high diversity of microbes in your gut is beneficial for many things while you're pregnant, not just eczema prevention. So I suggest a good broad spectrum probiotic during pregnancy to pretty much everyone. The other thing that is important in pregnancy is to eliminate conventional cleaning products and skincare products. These both can compromise the barrier of the skin, which allows proteins into mom's bloodstream that shouldn't be there and can increase baby's risk of both eczema and allergies and asthma. Switching to non-toxic cleaning products is very important as multiple studies have shown that indoor air is more harmful than outdoor air due to toxic load and air quality. So do yourself a favor and make these changes before baby arrives. Non-toxic skincare is important because toxins in skincare products are absorbed through the skin into mom's bloodstream and can be delivered to the baby through the placenta. The next step is birth. Now, again, what I'm about to describe is the ideal situation. Please keep that in mind and don't guilt yourself if things went sideways during your birth and labor. That's quite common, actually. And now your child has eczema. I've done this myself, kicking myself for getting antibiotics while I was in labor, but we have to remember that correlation does not equal causation. For example, I had antibiotics in labor and then had a vaginal delivery with Harvey. He ended up with severe eczema. Had I had a cesarean, I definitely would have thought that that contributed to his eczema and, you know, caused myself a lot of agony and guilt over that. And yet his eczema was that bad with a vaginal birth. Okay, disclaimer done. The best case scenario birth and postpartum to reduce the risk of eczema So one of the things you can do is try to avoid being GBS positive. Taking probiotics during pregnancy can help reduce the risk of being GBS positive. So by reducing the risk of being GBS, which is group B strep positive, that reduces the likelihood of having to have antibiotics in labor because the algorithm, if you have group B strep, is that you will have antibiotics in labor. And that's especially even more important if your water breaks prematurely because there's a higher risk of infection to the baby. So trying to get ahead of that and being group B strep negative is very important for avoiding antibiotics. So you can also learn about natural induction methods and staying active in labor and off off your back, off laying down in, in the bed. 
to reduce the likelihood of going down what's called the labor funnel and needing a cesarean. So there's tons of resources out there on this. So I'm not going to go into further detail about that here, but if that's something that you're interested in, uh, definitely send me a DM and I can send you to the people that specialize in that area. So also when baby arrives, do skin to skin, if at all possible. Again, if your baby has to go to the NICU or there isn't an option for skin to skin, that's just one of the steps. But if you can do skin to skin, please make sure that that is something that you are doing. So here's a big one. Regardless of how they were born, vaginal birth or cesarean, delay that first bath. Now, I know a lot of times there's a lot of pressure to give that first bath be it in the hospital, you know, if you're coming home quickly, there can be pressure from friends and family to give that first bath. Avoid that pressure and don't delay that first bath. So you can wipe them down, but please delay the bath as long as you can. And I'm talking a few days to a week. I think we were like 10 days before we bet bath harvey. It was a big topic of conversation. Um, the vernix that is on the skin, that's the I heard I read the other day and I was like, it's called the birth custard. <laughs> the vernix, it's often referred to as that. But the vernix that's on the skin, it's like a waxy coating. And that helps the skin adapt to being in a non-water environment. So if you think about it, it's quite a shock for baby's skin to go from being encased in water to our dry old world out here. And this is especially true for babies born, you know, fall and winter when the furnace is on. The vernix helps to keep the moisture in the skin. It helps. It also helps with temperature regulation and it helps with immunity. So the vernix also helps to trap the microbes that the baby receives from mom while being born. So this is part of what we call seeding the baby. So seeding is essentially their, the baby's first exposure to probiotics, which will become the basis of their microbiome. So when they're in utero, their digestive tract and skin does not have any probiotics on it or in it. So when they are born, they get this first exposure, and that is what their microbiome develops from. Hence, why we don't want to wash it off right away. Leave them dirty, even when everyone's calling you a hippie. <laughs> That's what happened to me anyways. So bathing with a newborn is something that you also want to do sparingly. After the first bath, they do not need a bath every day, and I do not suggest using soap until they are older. Um, in the four to six month range and actually getting dirty. So often, you know, once they start eating solids, once they're moving around a bit more on the floor, bathing once to twice a week is plenty. You can start to use moisturizer around three to four weeks of age if you notice that their skin is dry. Topical skincare is very important for all babies to maintain their skin's hydration level, but especially for those with this predisposition to eczema. It is important to choose non-toxic options as things like parabens, phthalates, and fragrance can irritate the skin and make the skin's barrier weak, which is, as we talked about before, one of the first steps in developing eczema. So Vaseline is a common, or petroleum jelly, is a common recommendation for eczema, but is not one that I suggest as it is a petroleum product, and it is often contaminated with dioxins, which are known to be carcinogenic. For a skincare routine for sensitive skin or eczema, I recommend a gentle moisturizing lotion for all over the body, like our Eco Chic Movement Baby Lotion, our skin conditioning cream for any red or angry areas, and the Live Clean non-petroleum jelly on top of the other two creams to seal them in and help the skin to retain moisture. The Live Clean non-petroleum jelly is a great substitute for Vaseline.
Does your baby have sensitive skin? Are they prone to dryness and being itchy? Want something that will work well, not break the bank, and is from a brand you can trust? It's time you check out EcoChic Movement. EcoChic Movement is a non-toxic skincare line for moms and babies founded by me, Dr. Alexis Reed, a naturopathic doctor and chemical engineer with a master's in toxicology. Did you know that keeping the skin's barrier intact and moisturized is especially important for babies and kids with eczema? Check out our top sellers, the Skin Conditioning Cream and Baby Lotion, which work for even the most sensitive of skin. Use the coupon code PODCAST to save 25% off at checkout. So many babies develop baby acne in their first month of life. Baby acne is not something to be concerned about. It's just a result of the baby's body clearing out the excess hormones that it was exposed to from the mom while in utero. It usually clears up by about six weeks, and it's often confused with eczema. And I do actually have, I'll link it in the show notes, I have a blog on my website about how to tell the difference between baby acne and baby eczema. So before I move on, I'm going to quickly talk about laundry detergent. Changing laundry detergent is often the first thing people do when their child has eczema, which is great. I suggest natural unscented detergents, um, like seventh generation free and clear is a good option. My favorite eczema laundry trick though, is to set your washing machine to do a double rinse. So this helps ensure there's no soap residue being left on baby's clothes. For a lot of babies, eczema first presents between two to four months. Often it's first noticeable on the face and belly. For some babies, it's just a matter of increasing the hydration of the skin with lotions and creams. For others, it becomes the time to start thinking more than skin deep. The two biggest factors in eczema for babies and kids are triggers, such as food and environmental options, and gut dysbiosis. So gut dysbiosis, which is what we're referring to when we're saying not having a good variety of good probiotics in the gut, can be a result of factors that may have been out of your control, like having a cesarean, formula feeding, or baby having to have antibiotics. The good news is gut diversity can be fixed. Gut diversity is not a death sentence. It's something that can actually be fixed fairly easily. And I will be interviewing the founder of Tiny Health in the next episode on the role that gut plays in eczema. So I will not dive too deep here for for now, but if that's something that interests you, get ready for episode four. And it's also, um, even for people whose babies don't have eczema, we're going to be talking a lot about the impact of microbiome on babies and how changeable and pliable it is under the age of three. So it's going to be a really good episode. Food triggers often start anywhere between four to six months of age, which also correlates with the age that most people introduce solids. Babies can have a sensitivity to food proteins that mom eats if she's breastfeeding or to proteins in the formula they are drinking. The most common food triggers of eczema that I see in my practice are dairy, eggs, and soy. Unfortunately, that list is not exhaustive, and there are a number of foods that can be passed through the milk and trigger eczema in baby. In an upcoming episode, I will interview Dr. Trill from Free to Feed, who is an expert in the fields of food protein transfer into breast milk. In order to determine if a food is an eczema trigger, either their formula needs to be switched to a hypoallergenic formula, or mom needs to remove dairy, eggs, soy, or another food that is suspected to be the issue from their diet. Because the life cycle of the skin cell is 28 days, it can take up to one month to see the full effects of this elimination. 
However, you can expect to see improvement in most babies when you remove something that was triggering them within one to two weeks. And this is similar for children. So once they are not receiving all their nutrition through milk or formula, once they're eating solids, if they're having eczema and you're trying to figure out triggers, you can remove that food from the child's diet. And you should know within one to two weeks if that has been a factor in their eczema. And another thing I want to note is it can be helpful to apply a barrier cream to baby's face when they're starting solids, like a diaper cream, to keep the food from irritating their sensitive skin. Because sometimes it's not eczema when it's just on their face. Sometimes it's more of a contact irritation just from they're messy when they start eating, or a lot of them are anyway, just from having that food all over their face all the time, that can cause a contact irritation that is not eczema. So some confusion often happens when I'm explaining to parents that their child may be sensitive, but not allergic to a food, and that this could be contributing to their eczema. When you're allergic, that is what is called an IgE allergy. So this is what most people think of when they think of allergy. It's like a classical allergy response. It usually happens fast within 20 minutes of eating the food. It can be anaphylactic or cause widespread hives, which is also anaphylaxis, but most people don't know that. The top eight food allergens that cause these responses are peanuts, tree nuts, fish, shellfish, eggs, dairy, soy, and wheat. The kind of intolerance or sensitivity we are talking about with eczema is usually non-IgE allergy or IgG mediated. The IgG reactions are typically slower onset. Symptoms can take up to a couple days to show up and they do not result in anaphylaxis. The foods that most commonly cause IgG reactions in babies and kids are dairy, soy, beef, chicken, rice, oats, and coconut. So probably some that you didn't think about as causing issues, and they can cause issues. Dr. Cho will talk more on this, but they can cause issues beyond just eczema. They can be things like colic, reflux, blood in the stool, all sorts of different reactions. So there is some crossover between these two lists, but I'm sure some of the foods that could be causing sensitivities in babies like beef, chicken, rice, and oats may come as a surprise. To add to the complexity with food triggers, Food triggers can change fairly quickly in babies and kids. This happens because their immune system is rapidly developing and changing. Something that triggers their eczema when they are six months old may not be a problem by the time they are a year old. Mold and environmental triggers like dust, pet tender, seasonal allergens can play a role in making eczema worse. So if you have an eczema-prone baby or child, getting a HEPA filter, air filter for their room is not a bad idea. Now I'm going to dive into a different area and that is nutrients. So there are plenty of nutrients that can help with eczema and some that people with eczema are known to be low in. So let's kick it off with zinc. Zinc has been a popular one in the last couple of years for immune system support and avoiding cold and flus, but zinc is important for for helping to maintain the integrity of the skin. It's a key player in having a well-functioning immune system. It's important for proper growth and brain development and it helps with wound healing. And the really tricky part with zinc is it's so beneficial for wound healing, but it's also lost through the oozing and weeping that many babies get with eczema. So if they're having oozing or weeping eczema, they're actually shedding zinc in that fluid. So it becomes quite difficult for them to maintain their zinc levels. So these children are at an increased risk of zinc deficiency. The ratio of zinc to copper is important, and this is something we've seen more issues with since the pandemic when many people started supplementing zinc long-term. 
So zinc and copper need to be in an eight to one ratio and eczema can be the result of a zinc deficiency or of a copper excess. You can supplement zinc in the short term under three months on its own, but longer term zinc supplementation should be accompanied with a copper supplement as well. The next big player is vitamin D. Vitamin D deficiency is something that is fairly common in Canada where I am and in people who live above the 49th parallel in the US. The angle of the sun is such that we cannot make vitamin D in our skin from October until May. Vitamin D is an immune regulator, so it can help reduce inflammation in the skin and facilitate wound healing. Vitamin D drops are helpful to be taken by mouth, but you can also put a drop or two into the creams that you're applying to help get vitamin D directly on the skin that is affected by eczema. So fish oil is my other favorite nutrient for eczema. Fish oil is good for a lot of things in babies and kids, including brain development, but is particularly good for helping with skin's hydration, reducing inflammation, and reducing itching. It has been shown to reduce a substance called leukotriene B4, which is an inflammatory substance that plays a role in eczema. The fatty acid GLA, or gamma-linoleic acid in particular, is very helpful for keeping the skin's barrier function intact. I'm going to share one last tip that is one of my new favorites for eczema. I'm mentioning it in the nutrient category because this type of salt is very high in minerals and mineral deficiency can slow skin healing. Uh, and I'm talking about dead sea salt. No, this isn't the same thing as Epsom salt. You can tell I get asked that question a lot. Uh, dead sea salt is a specific type of sea salt that comes from the Dead Sea. Go figure. It contains sodium, potassium, magnesium, and calcium, which can be helpful for skin hydration, itching, and wound healing. For babies who are having baths in a baby-sized bathtub, I recommend adding a quarter cup to a half cup to the bath water. For babies and kids in a full-size tub, I recommend adding one to two cups to the bath water, and best results come for soaking for, for 15 to 20 minutes. And while I'm on the topic of bathing, I will wrap things up with one of the most common questions I get asked about eczema, which is how often should children with eczema be having baths? The answer is there is no one right answer. Research has been inconclusive. Some doctors swear by daily baths and some say to bathe as infrequently as possible. The one consensus that everyone can come to is that regardless of bathing frequency, lotions and creams should be applied after the bath and applied while the skin is still damp. The other most common question I get is, can I manage eczema without steroids? The short answer is usually. But the caveat to steroids for me is most of the issues with steroids come from long-term use. In long-term use, you get into the pattern of using the steroid for two weeks, the eczema gets better, you stop, then it comes back, and then you use the cream, you use the steroid again, and on and off, and the cycle continues. Using a steroid doesn't get to the bottom of what's going on. I like to help people break the dependence on steroids, but sometimes you will still need to use the steroid to manage flares while you're in the process of figuring out what is causing the flare in the first place. So yes, people who follow my method are typically able to manage their child's eczema without using steroids long-term. Thanks so much for listening to this one. Eczema is near and dear to my heart, and I love putting out information on how to help with eczema out there for parents to access. In the show notes, I will link my free guide, Five Things That Are Causing Your Child's Eczema and What You Can Do About It. There will be a link you can click in the show notes to download the free guide. If you know someone who has a baby or child with eczema, please share this episode with them. I would really appreciate it. If you could also share this episode to your stories on Instagram, 
as eczema is such a prevalent and frustrating issue for babies and kids. If you remember, 15 to 30%. So you definitely have some friends and family who have kids suffering with eczema. Thanks so much. Until next time, remember that you're doing the best job you can with the information you have.